you, you give us a hard time for being white and being American and being in control. I did more for our black population than anybody other than Abraham Lincoln, okay? And nobody's even close. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. It's our God, Jesus Christ, has turned the tables on you. Amen. Victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. I bet he can't wait to go home and be, become a black man again. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Profane Faith. It's your boy, that's right, your host with the mostest. Dan White Hodge here. Um, well, I want to thank you and sorry for the late posting. I know this is supposed to be up by Monday. New episodes Monday. It's Tuesday. I apologize. It has been a hectic semester for me. And um, yeah, your boy is just behind on a lot of different things. In fact, if you're listening and I got to write you a, a recommendation letter, it's it's coming. It's, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's in the mail. Um, a lot going on these days, and so I apologize for the tardiness of me posting this. Uh, I'd hoped to get it out yesterday, but just it just did not happen. In fact, I'm as I'm recording now, in about what another 20 minutes, I'm gonna have to go and sit for a class of final presentation. So, you know, it's just that time of year, just that time of year. In fact, I was just regaling yesterday how I was like, man, I would probably just be getting home now from AAR. AAR, of course, is uh, American Academy of Religion always the weekend before Thanksgiving. And so, of course, all scheduling and programming moved online and the conference starts on the 29th all online. Um, but uh, yeah, this is usually the weekend. First weekend before Thanksgiving that I've been home, uh, which is great, right? Uh, but, you know, usually this is probably about 10 years, 11 years since I've been going consistently. So um, yeah, you know, there's that. So anyways, hope you're doing well. This is the week of thanks of giving Although it's kind of a bust because uh, who the hell knows what is going on, right? They're saying we have some vaccines coming. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know if, uh, you know, that's going to actually even happen. Um, I am always hesitant with, you know, just the, uh, do they work? What are the side effects? You know, again, with a novel virus. But, you know, nevertheless, they say they're coming. They say they have 90% efficiency. I guess the president got one, right? Oh. Um, but, uh, you know, here we are. So I hope you have some plans. My plans are to just chill. We usually do a big humdinger of event on Thanksgiving. We usually have, you know, 30 or so folks over to the house, um, students and the whole nine. Last year, we had a really good time, um, hanging out and, uh, it was just, it was great, right? Just good food and everything. The clean, the prep before that is a pain in the ass, but you know, Hey, whatever, right? <laughs> um, uh, it was worth it, but uh, this year it's just going to be the three of us and the pets, right? Uh, all, all, uh, all the pets. So, I'll still be smoking something. I don't know what. Uh, probably a really small turkey, maybe a breast or something. No, no offense to any vegans or vegetarians in the house, but uh, you know I'll be throwing down. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what that's what's going on. And my daughter, it's hard to believe she turns fourteen. Uh, I'm still blown away by that. I, I'm always blown away by that. I'm just like, wow, fourteen. 
My partner and I, Emily, just celebrated uh, 19 years of marriage. So that is, that still blows my mind too. <laughs> still feel like a kid, you know, uh, in many ways, except when I do any kind of physical work. And then my body says, you ain't no kid anymore, fool. <laughs> so uh, Advil has become my, you know, my pastoral reference. And so, uh, yeah, 14 years old, entering high school in full teenage mode. Uh, all the things of teenage life, teenage dumb, right? The size, the eye rolls, the standoffishness, the whole thing. So hopefully she'll turn back into a human when she turns 25 or something like that. We'll see. Um, but uh, nevertheless, it's coming up here. So we'll be celebrating that as well. Uh, I did. I was going to have my mom out. But of course, you know, with all the, the rise, the uptick, she's still in California. Um, not doing that anymore either. I was going to use some of my miles to uh, bring her out, but... That is not happening anymore. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of one of those flops, right? I mean, Mahalia was going to have some uh, family friends out as well. They're not coming. So, you know, we'll just, just, and I'm sure y'all are doing, hopefully you're doing the same thing, right? Hopefully you are social distancing and not having any super spreader events. I've, you know, I've heard a few rumors of people saying, like, I don't give an F. I'm still going to have people over. So, man, I don't even know. I don't even know. But, uh, Ah, all I can say is, uh, you know, hopefully 2021 is better. This has been a an intense year, um, and it's hard to believe that, you know, we're about to come up on a year of this whole virus thing. I mean, I know we didn't go on lockdown until March, um, but, you know, we were already starting to hear rumors of it, right? You know, in December um, about how, the, you know, this new COVID, this novel virus was spreading. Um, and, uh, you know, before we knew it, it was here. And I remember one report saying that it wasn't a matter of if, it came to the U.S. It was like when, and they were like, "It's going to be bad." And sure enough, here we are. It's bad. <laughs> so I hope you're safe. I really do. And if you if if you if you if you're not if you're if you're sick and somewhere, um, hope you get better quick. Um, and you know, just one of those things. Um, so I won't be long. I you know this this week I have my good friend Angie Hong on the show. In fact, we recorded this um, about a month ago on Instagram on live. She's the techie. Um, I am not. I am uh, quite the, uh, well, I can't say I'm not a techie. I am. I like technology and, and fiddling and faddling around with stuff. In fact, I'm sitting here as I look at my mixing board. Like I like, you know, the, the hardware end of it, the analog, right? You know, it's like when you're into tech stuff. It's like my entire signal chain until it gets to the computer is analog, right? Um, so, it, those things I like. It, it's all the other little things. Like Instagram still confuses me. Like I'm just like, what, what? And then they come up with new buttons, and people can do this, and they can do that. So I'm just like, I don't know what the hell is going on. So you'll hear at the beginning, like I'm futzing around. <laughs> Angie's getting frustrated. Is all get out. Um, but we made it happen, and I always love having conversations with her about faith and worship and race. Um, and so she's great. She's a great friend, and uh, I'll introduce her here in a minute and get this thing going. But. We did have a question. Uh, like I said, remember, we have this new segment where, like I said, I don't ha answer questions, but I bring out either statements or questions. Either I'll wrestle with it or I'll have some of the guests wrestle, wrestle with it. Um, but this comes from Chase, who actually recommended this, that we do this. And if you're interested in doing something like this, just go to whitehodgepodcast.com um, and click on Profane Faith. There's a link there at the top, and you can just post your question, and then that'll be that, right? It's just it's a Google sheet, you know, and uh, yeah, just... Fill it out, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll come here on the air, and we'll hook it up. Um, 
Chase is talking about the madness that is Rudy Giuliani and uh, whose soul was dripping out of his hairline. Did y'all see that? That madness? It's crazy, right? Uh, this dude, I mean, he just looked nasty. I mean, just from head to toe, Rudy Giuliani just looked like just a nasty ass dude. I'm just like, man, bro. So he asks, you know, this reminds me of the fly that landed on Pence's head during the VP debate and just took a vacation. What, if anything, do you make of these moments? If anything, it makes me think of... Uh, Supernatural. Uh, I don't know if y'all watched the television series Supernatural. I love that series. I thought it did horror very well. Um, and it, it, you know, the demons, right? They always had like dead things, you know, things that associated with death, you know, always around them, whether they were be bleeding black or black eyes or flies around them and stuff. So that's what it reminds me of, quite honestly. It's just like, and I don't want to theodicize and get all like, you know, craziness on you and stuff like that. But I'm just like, man, these cats. Folks around in that in and around that party are just, you know, they got some stuff going on. The fact that the fly lands on somebody's head. I don't know. Maybe there is some symbolism to that. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. You know, maybe the reptilian race really is <laughs> in control of, of things here. But uh, yeah, thanks for the for the statement. I, I, you know, I don't know what to make of that other than I know Rudy's he's just he's a hot mess. If you haven't seen the new um, uh, film Borat. Um, you know, I don't know if I'm necessarily going to recommend it. There's a lot of questionable things in there, but I did watch it because it was on Amazon Prime. And you know, hey, what else? Rona, right? And uh, there's a scene in there. The final scene is you know with Rudy Giuliani, and like this dude is like, you know, if it if it hadn't been for the spoof and all other things, man, he would have had sex with the old girl at the end of the movie. Um, you know, knowing that she was underage, and it just. Dude, it's just crazy. Crazy, crazy ass dirty folk, man. So um, that's what I make of it. <laughs> Again, if you had your question, you got a statement, uh, whiteoutpodcast.com. Just go to click on Profane Faith and uh, the link will be right at the top. Fill it out and uh, interact with the brother. Yeah, come on now. Come on now. Um, so let me get to the, uh, the host with the most, uh, Angie. She reached out to me and she was like, you know, um, what if we do something on Instagram live? And so she hosted it on her site. I'm going to try to see if I can actually post the link so you can actually see the visuals. Um, but uh, it was a great time. I always love hanging out with Angie. She's great. Uh, she's very talented. Uh, don't let her. Sometimes she'll, she'll I, I, she hasn't to say downplay, but she, you know, she won't just come right out. She's amazingly talented. She can play, sing, uh, do all kind of artistic things. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, I definitely consider her a, a, a good friend and, you know, somebody I can stay in contact with. And anytime I know I need a co-host or somebody to come on the show, she is always there. And so I appreciated her reaching out to me and saying, let's make this happen. Well, you've both been going back and forth and, 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 you know, messages and chats and stuff saying, man, we need to, you know, we need to do something. We need to do something. So we ended up having this conversation again, just around a lot of different things that are happening. This was, of course, recorded prior to the, to the November 3rd election. Um, so you'll hear a lot of that as well in it. But more importantly, it's just uh, what I appreciate most about Angie, she, she helps keep me centered in the sense of better understanding you know, the place of worship. I think it's very easy to lose sight of what the place religion and faith plays in your life because of all the distortion and the shit that, right, particularly evangelicalism has put out there. It's very easy to lose sight of that. And I appreciate that Angie, Angie is able to bring those back into perspective and into focus. So I've appreciated that. She is a student at Duke Divinity right now, finishing up her MDiv. Uh, she'll probably later go on and get a doctorate. I know her and she's going to hook it up, uh, even though I'm sure she'll say, nah, not right now. But I know she'll she'll go on. She'll be Dr. Dr. Angie soon. Um, she was here in Chicago when we met. She's led worship at a lot of different places. And again, she's just a great thinker and I appreciate her perspective. And so 
enjoy this conversation. Like I said, I'll look for the link. Hope you're staying safe. Have a great Thanksgiving. If you celebrate, if not, hope you just stay home safe. And uh, I'll catch you next week. All right, y'all. Peace. All the technology. And I'm like, dude, what the hell is happening? So this is this is crazy. This is crazy. Okay, so uh, we had some other people that were on, like James Hill was on, and like all these people, but now Sue Ann is on, so we gotta say hey to Sue Ann and uh, Ruby. All right. Ruby is my soul mama. All right. Um, she is a singer-songwriter. She's written with her. She's written with uh, Cheryl Crow. Oh, is wow. She's written with uh, Brandy Carlisle. Wow. She Yeah, she's like... She's like way up. Oh, she wrote a song that was in Little Fires Everywhere, the TV show. Okay. She's Kindred. Yes, that's Ruby. Um, wow. And then Suanne is on. Yeah. So for those of y'all, for Ruby, who doesn't know, for those of y'all who don't know, Dr. Dan White Hodge teaches at North Park and he is tenured. Now, this is important to remember because <laughs> Dr. Dan White Hodge can say whatever he wants because he's got tenure. <laughs> So he does not hold back, and his uh, podcast, um, Profane Faith, is all about that, just just really exploring the lines between sacred and profane. Speaking of sacred and profane, I'm in a religious, uh, I'm in a theorizing religion class with Dr. Joseph Winters, um, whom I'm a big fan of and who you're a big fan of, and um, we're reading the, the, uh, the text from where that comes from, that that dichotomy comes from and you got it from a different source which is which is great too um we're we're getting it from Durkheim over here yeah Durkheim has some some good stuff on there and you know he was probably one of the first to kind of bring that up but yeah I pulled mine the way the usage of it came from John Michael Spencer and his uh work on theomusicology yes oh geez we need Yes. Okay, we can talk about all of that, but we have many things to talk about. So yes, do we do. Start? <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, maybe we can just talk about you know this technology crap. You know, saying <laughs> how <laughs> jacked up I was. I mean, trying to get on. Plus, I was coming from another meeting, and that ran long. Um, and then just mm-hmm. trying to figure out the audio situation, and even now I'm trying to get my video just right. Yeah, I got my ring light, but you know, I, just, I can't get my video just right. So this stuff. <laughs> This live stuff is is, is new for me. What's that? You're, well, you're fancy, but you're always fancy. No, that's you, Angie. Please. With the tech. No, I'm mm, not me. I am. I am. I'm simple. I, I am very simple here in the lab. Your headshot so. does not suggest so. Well, you I know. saw your headshot and I was like, "Whoa!" Oh, fake it till you make it. Who is that? <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, well, this is this is great. I, I obviously I already hit record, so I yeah, this is yep. this is good stuff. Now we just start talking. Great, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. What um, you what what's going on with you? You're the one. You're learning new stuff. I mean, you got all kind of theories and theologies that you got worked out over there. Apparently, well, I d- yeah. Well, you know, I'm in school, so I'm using my brain for once, which is nice uh, because it's. I have a brain. Um, yeah. So my, a couple of experiences have really like shaped the way that I talk about and think about worship. 
And uh, one of those is decolonial thinking, uh, um, aesthetic, aesthesis, and technology. And that is taught by the person who helped to invent that field of study. So when we talk about decoloniality, we're not talking about decolonization. They're very, very different things. So, um, and this is important because uh, I think we need to talk about like the differences between decolonization, post-colonialism, and then decolonial thinking, which are, they are very, very different things. What I want to focus on is decolonial thinking, which is sort of going outside the realm of the colonial matrix of power. Okay. Uh, so, so going outside of the realm of, of, of coloniality, like in general. Um, so when you learn to read and listen to things and learn things in that, in that perspective, you think of like, oh, wow, all of this is sort of like, uh, all the things that we're learning are, are sort of in this matrix. And so what I really like about you is when you talk about church, church in the wild, right? When you talk about yeah. this, like, and the wild, that that's sort of what it reminds me of is, is just going outside of that and delinking from coloniality, not saying let's de decolonize and dethrone the colonial matrix of power. It, it's always there. It, you know, it, it has been, it's a part of our history. I can't erase my uh, spiritual formation in that, in that, for, in that um, framework, right? But what I can do is delink from it and then reconstitute uh, other things. Yeah. Ooh. So I just said a whole lot there. No, well, I mean, I'm curious. Like, so what does that mean in regards to, I'm seeing more and more people of color saying, I don't identify with evangelicalism. And, you know, it's like, that, I, I was saying that shit and people were like, oh, man, you know, <laughs> you know, how can you say that? And all oh, this is Christianity. And now people, now niggas is like, oh, shit, man. Yeah, you, mm. So I'm curious, like, what, <laughs> what does that mean in lieu of? Because I feel like we have a set of, this came up last night in my hip hop class, like, we're talking about, you know, rogue religions within hip hop uh, religion. Mm -hmm. And particularly one of them is like when whenever someone says they're a Christian in hip hop, mm -hmm. it usually comes with a main frame of ideals and how that Christian should be. But it has to do with whiteness and it has to do with at least as I've seen it, as I've researched. But I'd be curious when you talk about this colonials, I mean, I'm just like what that what that means, uh, you know, for you playing out in real time. Yeah, so you mentioned there's a lot, there's a lot of questions at one, but like so like leaving evangelicalism, right? Which I understand, but it it is sort of like I I I don't know if that if that really is addressing the real issue, which is we are still operating under this this like colonial matrix of power. So when you're still operating on it, of course, you can talk about decolonization. Of course, you can talk about all these things, but you're still working within that framework. So what's to stop you from then like uh, using the same tools and technologies that colonialism used? Right. OK. So it's this it's this process of like delinking. And um, the other the other thing is about like so if you say like down with evangelicalism, right? Yeah. Like I'm leaving this mess. Yeah. Understandable. Yeah. Totally understandable. Um, 
makes a lot of sense because it is so in, entangled with whiteness, right? Yeah. And so when Willie Jennings is talking about being baptized in race, you're being baptized into whiteness because yeah. it is so entangled from the get-go with like colonialism and settler, all that stuff. So in in especially in the U.S. So then, what does it mean to then like to uh, to 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 detangle that or to delink from that, right? Yes, so like absolutely. leaving that there, what are you now going towards? And I think there's a couple of ways you can think about it, right? You can think about it as, okay, there's nostalgia. I have ancestors. I have like old traditions. I have old ways of thinking. Uh, I, I can go back, right? And there is right. a lot of talk about that, like worship from the ancestors, uh, different modes of like, uh, engaging in religion and Christianity uh, from the ancestors. But like, let's take a person like me. I'm a second generation Korean American. And so when my, my ancestry started, you know, when I was born in the States, my parents are like, we are, we don't want history to be attached to you because we come from war. We are traumatized. We want to start, we came here to get a new beginning. So I, I, there, there's a lot about my family and my ancestry that I do not know. Okay. Um, so then for me, I'm like, well, what does that mean? And, um, like how do I use that in, in a way that is not shame based, but that, that brings some sort of creativity, some sort of like innovation or ingenuity. So like then, then like, so, so not a nostalgia, but then you think about like, healing the colonial wound. <laughs> uh, yes. I'm, I'm saying so much here, so feel free to edit this like later on in the podcast, Dan. No, I ain't editing nothing, man. This is this is this is right on point. This is exactly what I'm talking about. You over here talking about I don't know what they're gonna say. I don't know what I'm gonna talk about. I knew it. I was like this all this stuff stored up in, in, in Angie's in Angie's uh wisdom. This that's what's up. Well I mean I think you're absolutely I think you're absolutely right because I think that's part of what I've been trying to do is to is to is to heal and to detach myself from some of those right those theologies and that's why I don't identify anymore as you know an evangelical Christian. I mean, and I would say that yeah. I a lot of my theological foundation right is still within Christianity, but it's it's it, it, as I look at you know particularly when you start thinking about astrophysics when you start thinking about quantum theory and how oh, those yeah relate. you love that stuff I forgot about you yes I forgot about this so yeah, I mean I, it, when I start to take all those into account then I'm just like okay how you know is God just Rick and are we just Morty you know you know from you know from mm. Rick and Morty right it's like you know is it just <laughs> will we find out God is just some punk kid in a room creating shit and just like, ha, I got y'all fools to do all this stupid shit. Now I can just, you know, <laughs> shut off the, the system or whatever. I I would hope mm. not. But it, at the end of the day, it's like yeah. my theological understanding, you know, as it moves out and particularly with within Afrocentricity and looking mm -hmm. at what does community look like, especially when we start thinking about these, these personal relationships with God, which is a new phenomena within the Christian faith. Okay. I mean, that's not anything that was in the, the, the ancestry, you talk about the roots of Christianity. I mean, this is, um, you know, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's white. That's autonomy. That's autonomous. That the Puritan era. I mean, that shit is, 
you know, that has nothing to do with community. I mean, that has nothing to do with being in contact. We're not going to get to heaven and be like, oh, tell us what your personal relationship is like with God. We're like, I don't know, man. We got a whole bunch of mofos up in here. So, And that's a product of moder- modernity. Exactly. Like, my friend Sarah is on, and she knows all about that stuff. But, like, modernity, the enlightenment, that's all about, like, man-centric. There you go. Um, naturalism. Come on. Like, the man is replaced, or God is replaced by man. And there so you go. that carries over when you're talking about colonialism and capitalism, right? It's all about, it's all about the self. So then Christianity becomes yourself and God. It becomes like. Yes. God damn. You said it. You said it. You said it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like I said, Dr. Dan Y. Hodge has tenure y'all. So he can say anything (laughs) he wants. Well, um, as is as long as long as I don't connect it back with the university, right? You know, it's like you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we won't go there. Yeah, right. We could go. Well, let's just focus on the church then. But uh, yeah. So like, if we're if we're baptized into you know whiteness, and yeah. then we want to deconstitute from that, there is no sort of uh, there is no like nostalgia, right? So we're we're looking ahead, and so there is some room for creativity uh, from that to that, right? And and so I think about like the project of, uh, I, I link that to the project of uh, multicultural churches, right? Yeah, come um, on. That was like really, really, really popular back in the late 90s and the early 2000s, right? So it was a really <laughs> yeah, popular right. project. Right. Um, you know, all the stats came out, Divide by Faith came out. And so yeah. all these pastors suddenly had this brand new vision of uh, cre- recreating a Revelations New Jer- Jerusalem style worship. Is that one of your cats? Yeah, it is one of my cats. Oh yes, my gosh, your animals. I know. Animals. We have a zoo. I will, never get over, I will never forget <laughs> my trip to your house and the animals. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> but uh, so then, so, so then let's, transition now into that project and yeah. then transition into what it means for worship. Come so on. I was one of those people that was sort of, you know, uh, recruited to carry out the project because most often the very first thing that people want to do in a, in a diverse church setting is to diversify the worship and the music thinking that it is the, it is the easiest thing to change first. Yeah. So if you change it, if it looks good, if you got all the people on the stage, all the different colors, United Colors of Benetton, the Gap ad looking thing, then the multitudes will come. And um, they they sort of say that in the context of like Acts 2 and then Revel- Revelation 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, 21, and 22. Come on. All right. So let's just talk about Revelation for a second. So Revelation, um, the book of Revelation is no other than a... Uh, political resistance document. And so when the multitudes come together, right, they're, they're, they're resisting, they're banding together to resist the empire. Mm -hmm. They're not saying, you know, uh, that Caesar is king. They're saying that Jesus is Lord. And so they're facing that sort of persecution. They're facing that sort of, you know, in the face of that, they're making a political statement. And so they're worshiping for that. So it's not just a kumbaya moment. Right. Multicultural churches. It, it is because you want to resist the empire. That's why you come together. Um, so anyways, uh, so so just realizing that, you know, I've come to a lot of realizations about all that. And, and it, it's 
it's really interesting to see uh, because on my side, on the worship leader side of it, man, you know, experiencing that in my body, being in a primarily white church who mm. that says like, oh yeah, we're diverse. Like, look at all the people, different kinds of people that we have. It was just, it deepened this like colonial wound and you feel it in your body. You can't name it. You don't, you don't name it. I didn't know what to name it at the time, but I think that's what I was feeling was like the deepening of those, those wounds, because, you know, not only is my ancestry cut off Mm. uh, because of my family, but now like I'm supposed to replace that with Christ and nothing else. And I'm supposed to do it for the sake of this white sort of vision Man, I'm being really bold today. Come on. You got tenure. That's what I'm talking about. Come on with it. Shit. Yeah, I'm in school. I don't have a job. I can't get fired. All right. So so then you you just think, oh, wow. You know, like, so so what it equates to really is this is the act of minstrel worship. Ooh. All right. Yeah. So everybody's on the stage. They're singing their songs one by one. You either got a musical buffet or you got all the different colors of people on there. And that's all that really is, uh, is just minstrel worship. So, man, so how do we de-link from that? And what can we reconstitute, right? Like, what are some things that we can can do? And so... um, I brought together a group of worship leaders from around the nation uh-huh. uh, and Canada. Oh. Uh, we got together at the Calvin Institute of Worship, and we were talking about, so what is like 2.0 multicultural worship, like diverse worship? What is that? And we sat down for two days, uh, a lot of thought leaders. We had everywhere from practitioners to um people in academia that were coming together to just wonder what this is about. Like what, what is next for us? And people had different like sorts of takes and views. There's all sorts of different things because all of our contexts are different. Um, My take on it is I think that if we are to survive as a church, um, we need to allow, we need to go deeper beyond multiculturalism. We need to go beyond that and allow for, Uh, a diversity of theologies and cosmologies. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. I like this. This I'm just, come on. I'm like literally, I'm so sorry. This is going so fast. No, this is good. What's what break that down. What is, what is that? What does that, what does that look like? Come on. Cosmologies. Damn. (laughs) So like a pluriverse, right? So like in decoloniality, they, they talk about like allowing there's different narratives that are allowed and there's different ways of being that are allowed and you don't have to ascribe to theology can be like in the making sometimes like with different people groups. So that makes it possible for somebody like me who cannot hearken back to some sort of ancestry apart from whiteness in my, in my faith to like re reimagine to, to, to create, to, you know, to imagine a world where there's like a theology that includes narratives of mine, that includes your narratives. And I'm not just talking monolithic, one black church, one Asian church. I'm talking multiple narratives within. And so that allows for just a a total like reimagine and like lots of creativity around what is possible for, uh, for Christian, uh, Christian worship, Christianity, 
for like the body of Christ. I mean, like we can even go outside of that, but like just allowing for that to, to happen. Um, and yes, you can have a nice pack. That's my son. Hey, it's yeah. called homeschooling. Yes. It's absolutely. in the freezer, baby. It's in the freezer. <laughs> I love okay, it. Okay. So anyway, back to multiple cosmologies. So I, I think that's really great. You know, um, there are some uh, art curators and some music curators that love to do this, right? So they take like this, this, this narrative that they somehow are exposed to from like an from the subaltern, right? Like people you never heard of or like, you know, people groups and, and they like express that they kind of bring it out and they express that through the arts and you just learn e each piece of art is a dissertation in of, of itself. And it just begs like theology. It begs like all these questions. And I think that that is a really beautiful, I think to me that feels like church in the wild because there's no containment. There's, there's no, like, you can't, you, you, you can't put it in a box. It's not contained. It's completely free. It's like, it's wild. It's profane. I mean, it's wild. Yes. And, uh, that idea I think really appeals to me. Um, and I think is crucial for the church to survive this next, um, this next generation of it's going to survive. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, and so I'm curious, I'm, I'm, and this is a great conversation because I, I'm, I, I'm wondering what then does, because I'm, I'll be honest, this is just where I'm at right now. And maybe it's just because it's been the Rona and been quarantined and, you know, yes. I ain't seen that many people <laughs> lately. Um, mm -hmm. But what is, I mean, what does multiculturalism truly look like um, in, in the sense of church, right? Does it mean that we're all together? I mean, in one end, right, the the mm -hmm. the right says that, or particularly the alt right uh, um, says that multiculturalism is not working; it's erasing and stuff. But I I would say that so oftentimes we've had these negative tastes. We still have real bad taste in a lot of our mouths from multiculturalism, right? It's like, oh, let's just come together, like you said, the kumbaya, the you know, let's do it within the yeah. four walls of the church. What does that look like when you have aspects of Interethnic racism, right? You in and you have aspects of, you know, intergenerational. Like for example, my grandmother. You know, I loved her to death, but she, you know, she admitted to me, like, you know, growing up as a Mexican American woman, she was told that black people were evil, and so she carried that with her until really, literally, the day that I was born. Um, and mm. <laughs> what what does that look like? And maybe it's just something that we just need to just, you know capitulate to and just in and, and just wrestle with inside of the church but um i don't know should we silo i don't know to me okay i i i've thought a little bit about this and you can push back at me okay so no no come multiculturalism on multiculturalism for multiculturalism's sake right so i came out and i said you know this is minstreling worship uh on the worship leader's part um it can it's tokenism it's um hey emily um it's it, it can be uh sorry i lost my train of thought it can be tokenism um it can mean uh cosmopolitanism right where you just like learn about different cultures and you're just like engaging and so you feel like you know right but like 
what does it mean if you want to silo? Like, so there's a danger in that, right? Okay. But what's the opposite of that is, you know, stay segregated for segregation's sake. Well, um, so I thought a little bit about this. Come on. That's what I'm and, asking you. And, and what if like ethnic specific churches uh-huh. functioned as affinity groups, which they, a lot of them do, mm-hmm. um, but what if they truly function as affinity spaces where you work out these uh, these colonial wound woundings and seek out healing from colonial wounds? So, like, what? It, so, this is this is very historically the Black Church experience, um, and, and maybe different now. There's more diversity in Black churches now, but but in the beginning, it became a space in which to express, uh, in which to worship and wish you do like your, your circles, your songs, uh, preaching and, and all of this and talk about the black community. Like you can't talk about God without talking about what it means to be black, because that gave you a form of being human, of being counted, of right, being seen right. and known and heard. And so what if like in different, and I know different Asian communities are like this too, but what if like my Korean church you know, who wanted very desperately to help people assimilate to life in America, what if it functioned as a a point of bringing um, activism and bringing um, things like immigration and voting and all of that stuff, all of that gets flushed out in these like immigrant um, ethnic specific churches and that becomes a part of your faith. Well, then now that it becomes, and now it becomes more than a bubble, right? It becomes an affinity space in which to engage the rest of the world beyond uh, assimilation or whiteness. Um, so those are like some, those are some possibilities, I like that. right? I like that. And, and so that's why I still believe in the Korean church uh, that I came from. I still believe it should exist. I still even think that second, third generation Korean American churches should exist because there's a lot to work out there. We got yeah. a lot of stuff to figure out. Um, and so I think it can be the space in which to work it out. That space needs to be used well. Um, so that's a whole other question if, if that space is being used in that sense or not. Um, but yeah, there's, there's possibilities. Well, I mean, I think, no, I like that. And I like that a lot. And the reason why is it's like, it's new. It's something different because I think that's the problem we get caught in, right? It's like we get played and in the sense that we, when I say played, I mean, people of color, right? Get played in that you want our worship, you want our songs, you want the organ, you want the, like I, you know, I told somebody (laughs) just two months ago, they were like, Oh, we need a a black person to come and tell us white people what to do. I'm like, look, I ain't your nigga. I ain't, you know what I'm saying? I, I say fuck a lot. And so I'm not, I can give you the references of some milder niggas, right? You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? <laughs> but I ain't going to be the one. It's, 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 yeah. I'm going to come in and, and, and tear shit up. And they're like, whoa, well, what do you mean by that? It's like, exactly, exactly. Here, let me give you all some email addresses of some niggas that go live all the time talking about, oh, Jesus in the mountains. So. For me, I'm about what you're talking about, Angie, and that those affinity groups, because I, like for me, I mean, it's the reason I don't go to church right now, right? It's because it's just a pig with lipstick. It's the same thing recycled over and over and over again. And really, it's still white people running it. Because the other problem that we have here, too, is white conservative money. One of the biggest things I always got knocked for when I was being called to come and speak, because I don't get called anymore. No motherfuckers be calling me anymore. Be like, hey, you know, it's like, all right, well, fuck it. I ain't, you know, I ain't going, you know, 
You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, they want, again, they want friendly niggas. And I'm just like, I, I'm just not going <laughs> to. It is, it is 2020. Ruth Bader Ginsburg just died. Okay. Yeah. You got mofos yeah. joining the Satan church because they talking about how, you know, they had, this is an article that just came out on HuffPost last night and was talking about how, like, I joined the Satan church because Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. And I'm like, what? What is going on? Yeah. <laughs> right? So. And here's the thing, right? I'm just like, we we have adopted so much of this stuff, and the but the money, the money is the is the is the, yeah. is the church that we all worship, whether you atheist <laughs> or gnostic or not. And I get this shit all the time, like, well, the donors didn't like that, or like, oh, you know, the people that are are giving us money, that is like, man, dude, are there any like liberal people giving money? I mean, shit, it's like the church is wrapped up <laughs> still with white conservative money, even <laughs> if it says. Dare I say UIWI or CCDA on the front, you still have white people funding it. <laughs> right? And that's what pisses me off. People here don't know. <laughs> I mean, Dr. Dan Y. Hodge, okay, so you outdid me in like saying the, in the statements, which you always do. No, so no, 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 no. But <laughs> anyway, no, no, no. Yeah, you're right. Like, uh, so, but, but. Within the context of the colonial matrix of power, that all makes complete sense. It is, it is their money, and the containment is, it allows those products and those projects to survive. So the fact that you're going to be like the one black friend, the one Asian friend pulled in, helps them feel better about the framework keeps it contained, keeps the money flowing, because that is essential for survival. And unfortunately, it has a lot of power. It yes. has a lot of power. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's true. And, that's and for, UConn. Well, I mean, and that's for me is the funding part, because it's like, these all sound good, but at the end of the day, white people ain't giving up power. They ain't giving up stuff. I mean, and, and this isn't all industries. This isn't just the church. I mean, this isn't higher education. Right. Okay. Why am I still uh, why am I one of like six black folk left on campus out of a, out of out of 150, uh, you know, uh, professors? <laughs> right. It's like, why? Why is that? Yet we we tout interculturalism. It's like white people <laughs> love racial S&M. It's just like, oh, slap me with some white fragility. Mm, beat me with some, you know, white privilege. Mm, burn my nipples with some nice, uh, you know, uh, uh, white irritability and white colonialism. But then the safe word is change. Oh. 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 Um, yeah. You get, are you going to give up power? You're going to let a person of color run? And then when you do, then you complain. Oh, I can't believe this shit. I just, oh, my God, where, what direction are we headed in? Oh, my God. Yeah. And then I and this again, this isn't any industry. This isn't just the church. This is higher education. Right. Dealing with mm -hmm. it. Right. As a department mm -hmm. chair, having to deal with the whiteness and having to deal with people being like, well, what direction are we going? And it's like I have to work. This is what uh, uh, this is what um, Kathy Kong talks about all the time. It's like, it's like I have to work three times harder. Right. Than the average white person, not even the best, just the average, the mediocre yeah. white person. Yeah. Um, why is it that I'm more published than anyone in our department? But yet, you know, it's like I still get quite yeah. well. What direction are we going in? What What are we talking about? And <laughs> so, anyway, so well, I, that's I'm, institutional power. But that's all. It all makes sense when you think about it in a decolonial like perspective. Yes. And so, like, if if Kathy is saying I have to work three times as hard, right, to get as half as far or whatever, 
that's Olivia Pope too. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But like, but so delinking is like, is refraining from that is, is refraining from entering into that. Right? Okay. And so you can work three times as hard at some, some other things, some other things. And, and um, sure, there may not be money, but then we have to question our attachment to money as well. Absolutely. And I know that's really hard. Mm-hmm. And so, so then like when you're engaging with like the money question, right, it becomes a, a aspect of negotiation. So how much do I want to negotiate myself with the, with CMP, with the colonial matrix of power? How much do I want to negotiate in this space? I can choose or not to choose to work three times as hard. I can choose or not to choose. And so I think that's the act of delinking. And to me, that's what it feels like to delink. And it takes the pressure off. It takes the pressure off of me as a worship leader to serve up my dish of, uh, of, of multicultural worship in different languages and heart languages or whatever that BS is, right? It takes the pressure off of me. And all I got to do is do bring a song, bring, bring, yeah. bring my worship. <laughs> that, that's all I right. have to do seriously. And and that's it. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not going to give in to any narratives that you want to place on me. So well, I'll be the first in know. line for your church. Then I will when you, when you open them doors. I'll be the first your in church. line. Yeah. No. I'm not going to be no pastor. No, I'm, I'm coming to yours, Angie. I am going to be right there front and center front row with my, with my, with my can and a nickel, you know what I'm saying? Be chasing. <laughs> So like, so, so my friend, um, Ruby's on this, right? So Ruby and I did some songwriting together, uh, at a, um, at a songwriting retreat in Nashville. And I was, I am not a professional songwriter. I was the only non-professional songwriter there, <clears throat> but I got to go cause I got to tag along with my worship professor, Lester. Uh, okay, and so, okay. so what they did was they sat everybody down in a room and they're like, okay, we want to write songs about the advent. Uh, no, is that right? The infancy, no, nativity, nativity. So what we're going to do is we're going to lay down a theology of nativity because we want to juxtapose that with your Christmas songs, right? With your Mariah Carey. We want, we want, we don't want those type of songs. We want to write like real nativity songs because it's, because theology is there, right? Mm-hmm. So then they sit down and they, so the concept is great. Now, what kind of theology did they bring up though? <laughs> Wesley, John Wesley, John Wesley. I mean, it was, it was very Methodist because uh, I go to, yeah. So, but so then I thought, man, what would be the possibilities if we got the same talented songwriters? If like Ruby, who writes all these amazing, like she is such a prolific songwriter, y'all. And her it sounds like it. Produces all these people. Like I won't even get into it. But what if we got people like Ruby in the room and we brought up some theologies? Coming from like womanist theology, for instance, yeah. she's a black woman. Black womanist the womanist theologies. Um, yep, <laughs> Ruby just said the empire's nativity. Yes, yeah, theology of the empire. So, what if we brought up like all these other theologies, these multiple strains, these multiple narratives, and just said like, let's do some songwriting around around that? I think that could just usher in so many different possibilities for arts. And 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 how to think and worship. I'm just thinking with worship because that's what I know. You're you're in a very different world. You're an academic institution. You're you're dealing with a lot of other things too. But um, 
just in my context, I think it'd be really, really great. And that's how I think we can go beyond the multicultural, beyond just decolonizing. Yes, Chase784, I really like you. Um, oh, that's my boy, that Chase. Is yeah. yeah. I really like what, what this person's saying because, yes, and that is hip hop, which is why right now at this moment, the only healing bomb that I can tolerate right now, because I cannot contend with worship music right now, the yeah. only one that I can tolerate is hip hop. That's yeah. been my healing bomb. That's been, I appreciate your work around that, um, Dan, but that's the only thing that like really, really speaks to me right now. Also, the, the songs that Ruby writes. I love. Just All right, personally. I'm about like, to go follow this Ruby. She she got. She looks like oh she got. She got. You have to. Oh, I'm doing yeah, it right she's now. She's on she, here now. She's on here now. All right. Um, Ruby, Dr. Dan teaches uh, hip hop and uh, other things at North Park. But anyway, but yeah, that that is a very hip hop. And then like Dr. Winters, my religion professor, um, da, is coming out with a book on. Um, is it Lauren? No, Kendrick. Kendrick Lamar, yeah. Kendrick Lamar, that's good. Yeah, Kendrick Lamar around, and then hip hop and religion, um, which is seen as very profane still, right? Which uh, yeah. doesn't, doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. It doesn't make um, sense in this day and age, but yes, you're right. Yeah. So so yeah, that's sort of where where I'm coming with all of that. Oh, Ruby says she's gonna follow you too. Excellent. Thank you, Ruby. Thank you. I appreciate that. I just, you know, I don't get many follows these days. And you know, it's like I've been I've been excommunicated from Twitter. I'm still off. Three months going strong, yes. right? I don't know if y'all know. I don't know if y'all know, but Dr. Dan White Hodge has been banned from Twitter for how many days? Like eighty days or something? Yeah, well, yeah. Something crazy, right? Yeah, all over uh sorry ass LaCraze fans, man. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> oh and I mean, and that brings that that brings it to the point. Right, it's just like we want artists. We talk about praise and worship. We want artists that fit into that framework. Lecrae is definitely one of yes. them. Talented <laughs> motherfucker, yes. but still fits into that white narrative, which is what made Kanye so big. And you know, white evangelicals and the right got played because you know Kanye is all over the place. He will say anything to sell albums, right? <laughs> and he'll do yeah. anything to, to you yeah. know to put a concert together. But he played that card, right? Oh, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and you know, condemning all these folks and stuff. I'm just like, oh, yeah. I don't want to hear yeah. anything because y'all weren't talking about Snoop. Y'all weren't talking about Kendrick. Y'all weren't talking about Chance. You know what I'm saying? All these cats who's doing stuff long before Kanye. Wow, you just said Chance. Oh. I know. I don't know what to do with that. Okay, anyway. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, well, okay. Well, let's kind of like bring it to our current situation, okay? So going yes. back... So, oh, Chase wants to know if Lecrae ever responded to you. No, he sure didn't. Question. No, no, he sure didn't. Yeah. No. He didn't answer a lot of people. I know a lot of people that reached out to him. Um, yeah, yeah. About some stuff. But, yeah, I think he was kind of like, I'm going to block everybody. Um, <clears throat> so so let's just bring it to this moment of, you know, um, we have um, – we have what happened, Breonna Taylor. We've got protests yeah. going on at yeah. BLM. Okay, so first of all, there is a lot of you know uh, a lot of hype or or a lot of like dissension, I guess, about BLM, right? From faith communities who are like, "Oh, I'm all about the phrase, but not the movement," which doesn't make sense yeah. um, to me. But then, okay, so so then you have in, in my world, in the world of worship, right? We have a very prominent worship leader affiliated with a very prominent worship 
church that puts out a lot of our music that we're singing in. Something froze up. Okay, sorry. Oh, there sorry you go. Um, so we we have a lot of like, there's a prominent worship leader with a church, with a prominent church that puts out a lot of our music. And, you know, he's say, he's turning, he's phrasing this as riots. Okay, these are race riots. And we're going to turn these riots into revivals. So do you, do you know about this, Stan? Yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah. he's like putting stages, and we can name him. I mean, his name is Sean. So like he's putting a lot of, um, he's he's bringing a stage in the middle of a protest, and he's turning these into like revival services. now. And there are people from all like, all different ethnicities and races and like different people, but mostly white that are coming and they're getting saved and they're worshiping because they want to turn this like rioting into a revival. And this, and I thought, Oh man, he's acting independently. Um, but no, he got, he recently got the backing of his entire church, which is Bethel, which is like almost half of what worship leaders do these days. You know, So like, how do you contend with that? And so, as we're talking about like how this affects this world of like arts and everything, I think worship, uh, I, I think his work, we have to take it very, very seriously. Um, and worship leaders and artists should take this very, very seriously because I think the era of I'm here to sing my songs to the Lord and go home and not engage in any politics. Those days are officially over. Like we, we cannot do that anymore. Um, and he's making that um, really, impossible I guess you could say so that that's the good that's coming from it but um this is why I can't uh that this is why worship music and church music in general uh is very triggering to me and it um it kind of offends me I think as a worship leader too it it offends me deeply um and I need to take a break from it and the only thing that can that is a healing bomb right now is hip-hop but hopefully that won't be forever. Hopefully there's some sort of return that I can make. <laughs> Maybe I'm just in a process of delinking from it. Um, but yeah, we gotta we gotta contend with that as like artists and stuff like that um, in this day and age. And how like how are you feeling about it? Well, I mean. Oh my gosh. I mean, I knew I knew the results even before the results would kind of come. I mean, I think what always gets me is the collateral that that comes with that. It's the um right? It's like the bullets that went through the wall are more important mm -hmm. than the life of Brianna, right? It's like shit like that. It's like mm -hmm. it, you know, and we can look back on the history of these, right? And there's always these little collateral things that you can pull out and say, "Oh my god, like so we care more about some drywall than we do you know, the life of, of, of Breonna Taylor. And we know that, right? Mm -hmm. We know that the system worked exactly the way it was supposed to work. Cops right. entered the house, like, right? And, and we yeah. forget about the black Minneapolis police officer that shot a white woman, right? Um, and killed her. And this brother is serving time. So the system knows how to convict police officers. People say, oh, well, it's, they won't ever convict a police officer. No, they know how to convict a police officer. Um, they just they just won't convict white police officers. Um, and so it it becomes an issue. And it's just like, 
it gets hard to keep telling young folks, hey, just keep your head up. You know, let's work within the system. This isn't the way. Don't riot. I mean, it's just like the only tools that we have for us right now are our bodies, right? Um, and, yeah. you know, like Kamasi Brown says, there's a dilapidated building. You know, it's like I'm going to throw that entire building at you. You didn't fix it. You didn't do nothing to it. Brick by brick, this is going to be coming at you. Um I don't know, and I don't know what else to say. It's like, you know, you ignored our children, you ignored kids, and it's like after a while, it's just like they're just they're not. It's like Tupac says, like we picking the door, coming through the door, blasting. It's like we were asking 50 years ago, we were asking with the civil rights movement. We were asking, it's like now those people are dead or in jail. You know, and he's talking about this 25 years ago. So it's like, what do you think a new generation, right, is gonna say? So I don't know. I'm I ain't gonna front. I'm I'm on the verge of losing a lot of hope. I don't know. I I I really don't know because I we're reaching the elements of what it calls for in in terms of a just war. Um, you know, when you think about just war theory, um, it's like we've tried to negotiate, we've tried to, to to hold out laws, we've tried to we've tried all these things, right? And then people try to say, oh well, I don't want no violence. I don't want to. I don't want no violence. Right. But we love violence as a country. We love the movies that are violent, right? It's like I'm writing a book right now on, you know, co-authoring one with uh, my good friend, Dr. Jennifer Baldwin on, on um, marveling religions. We're looking at the Marvel universe and, and whatnot. It's like we love violence. We love that shit, right? You know, nobody was telling white America after 9-11 to be like, hey, 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 let's not go bombing now. We just need to talk about it. Let's, you know, maybe Osama had his reasons. And so we got to get all the facts first before we start going and bombing. And, you know, no, we want an enemy. And I don't know. I'm just I'm to the point where I'm starting to, to, to lose most hope on most things. And I don't know what that means. I really don't. I really don't know what that means as a middle aged, educated black man. Um living no, that's yeah anyways it looks like susan uh, is Suan is saying something too folks that don't care about lgbtq people definitely don't care for blm that's the reason why christians will be like blm the phrase but not you know organization explicitly because of blm's uh, queerness absolutely 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 suan yes suan brings up a really really great point which is i mean just like from the get-go right it's always been political and i think I think the point that I was making, um, Sue Ann, is, is that there's a lot of people that are not aware, right? There's a lot of worship leaders, let's just say, who like very innocently say, oh, but I'm just here to sing the songs. Like, I, I'm not I'm not saying any of that stuff. I am. I'm just here to sing the songs. And, and they don't realize that they are actually helping to promote like whiteness and anti-LGBTQ and anti-blackness, they're like diffusing that theology, like in the air, in the, through the, through the stereo, you know, through the speakers every Sunday um, and throughout the weekend, like, you know, through the radio and all of that, they're just pumping that and worship leaders unknowingly, they are perpetuating that over and over and over again. And I think we're like, I think that a lot of people are reckoning like right now too and realizing things like it, that, oh yeah, it's, it not only is it anti-black, it's also anti-LGBTQ+, it's anti-queer, it's it's all these things, um, everything but whiteness, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's against. And, yeah. and I think that like, it's really, yeah, I mean, militarism of white evangelical, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like white violence is not a problem because it serves 
because of who it serves, what it serves, and the and, and um, the capitalistic sort of colonial project, it, it serves that. And so, and it looks nice, you know, it seems nice, um, and it plays into the aesthetics as well. But like the minute you delink from that, you see all of that from a distance and you think like, okay, like I can either choose to participate in this, not, and then know how to negotiate yourself negotiate your body, negotiate like your career, your identity, all these things, learn to negotiate it. And I think like Sue Ann, Sue Ann, you actually do a really good job of this, you know, why society doesn't oppose violence, just being opposed violently. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Chase. Yeah. Chase. I like you, Chase. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who you are, but I really like you. He's a, he's a good brother. We we used to be together all out in uh when we were back in Pasadena, I think, he and his wife, Kiana, are still out there in Pasadena, the, the Dina, or out in that area right, out there. Pasadena. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. So that's just sort of where my thoughts are at right now. Um, and thinking like decolonially. And I mean, I could bring post-colonial stuff into it too, because um, I did a lot of that when I was doing, uh, when I was studying like in Asian American theology. Mm-hmm. But um but I just, I think that that is a really like interesting concept that really appeals to me right now is I'm not trying to go back to anything. I'm not trying to like dethrone anybody. I'm just trying to heal the colonial wound, like bring, yeah, you know, bring that community healing. And I, I think that's sort of like, that's like, that is the work that I can do. And like in Christian terms, that, that is the work as a Christian that I can do. That is something that I do have control over. That is something that I can do to reconstitute like people's humanity, uh, their identities, uh, things like that. No, that's deep. Yeah. Kara's all all up in there. Um, (laughs) yes. Um, so how have you, obviously you've been, you've been, you've been learning some good stuff out there, man. They, 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 they doing y'all right out there, man. I should have went to Duke. Um, what are some takeaways for you? I mean, because, you know, this is these are all great things, right? It's like, but how what what are, what are some takeaways for you? Like, you know, with family, uh, with where we're at now? I mean, how are you processing the whole Breonna Taylor? And just not even that. I mean, we got, you know, stuff in Kenosha still happening. I mean, it's still popping over there. Yeah. Right. I mean, so. And, you know, I I don't know. I, I guess I'm just trying to, you know, w- feel my way around that, but I'd be curious to hear like what some of those uh, pragmatics look like for you, Angie. Cause you know, you, this is, yeah, it's deep to hear where you're at and where you've been and like worship and stuff, man. So, yeah. Um, well, so I got to credit my sister Sue Ann on this because we had a big discussion between Ally ship and um, we had a big discussion between Ally ship and embodied solidarity. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference. And um, I mean, Sue Ann could probably explain it a lot better than I can, but it helped me to um, think of myself, think think of, I, I'm having a tough time uh, explaining it, but like about place. So like a lot of Asian Americans that I talk to when they like see this sort of movement going on, they're like, oh my gosh, it's all like about black and white. 
the binary, you know, the binary and, and brown, brown, black and white. And like Asian people are just absent. Like, where do we fit in? And like in activism, like I want to do something, but like people, do people even see me, you know? And, um, I think there is a lot, there are some challenges and I think that those feelings are real. Um, I think there, that's a very precarious place because then we get tempted to play oppression Olympics, which is a product of uh, whiteness, right? So, um, so I think like embody solidarity. Uh, it means um, that term. I'm coming to embrace more and more, and I credit that to Suan. So um, I don't know. She could probably explain a lot better than I. Am, but, but like, yeah, Suan deep. So, oh yeah, she's she's got that brain. But like. Allyship is is very different uh, to me. It's sort of like stepping outside of the narrative to say, like, I support whatever is going on and I will do whatever I can, but I'm on the outside of it. Whereas embodied solidarity is more communal and ecclesial and and bringing in like, no, there are certain things, there are certain places, there are certain certain actions that all are part of it, you know, and we need to do the parts that are, are, deli- are, are ours, I guess you could say without losing the center. Um, and that's as like far as I can take that. Sue Ann can put it a lot better, but like, so for me with Brianna Taylor and all of this, I mean, there are people, uh, that I know, like, I wouldn't say like followers, um, but like people that I know and that I, that I have contact with, right. Where this conversation is like really, really fresh and new. Um, the concept that, oh my gosh, what I'm an Asian American. What, what is it like? What there's racism. What, like I've experienced racism for the first time. Um, like acts of bigotry for like the first time, like sometimes ever. And like, this is my time to shine. Um, so like, how do I negotiate that? And I think, for me, part of it is, you know, walking alongside, helping um, in any way that I can. Like my, um, like I have a few that are on here right now, but like just walking through with that, and then so then so then that's one. Also looking at future generations, um, like in my children, right? So, like how I how I narrate things to my kids, and how I how we bring them along and how we, we make the phone calls. We, we do, I haven't been able to do protests because I have broken ankle the whole entire summer. So I didn't go out. Yeah. I didn't do anything, you know, but like how I narrate it to my kids. Like, so we're like talking about voting. We're talking about immigration. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about police and we're talking. And so just, just bringing them along. Um, so that's something practical. And then taking my, taking the lead from, um, other voices has been very, very good, but knowing that I have an active role, not a passive one, I, I'm not explaining this very well. I'm with you. But yeah. But yeah, does that make sense? So like yes. the difference between embodied solidarity and allyship. Yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> I think that's important. I mean, when we have kids, right, is to have those conversations. Like right now, my daughter's, you know, doing the virtual school. She's upstairs right now. And she has a teacher that is very pro-Trump. He's white. And it's like, I can hear him. And, you know, like talking about how, oh, well, Trump has done more for black people than any other president. And I'm just like, I'm almost like coaching her, (laughs) trying to be like, well, wait a minute. White people don't get to decide who's done the most and who's done the the least, right, for black people, first of all. But then, like, 
having those conversations because she's like, what's going on here? Like, what did Trump do this? Did Obama really create the legislation to put people in cages and hold them at the border? I mean, all those things, right? It's like, what does that look like in this era? And so that's where I feel like my part is in coming because I feel like I have very little power once I leave my property, right? Just like that's, that's like once I leave my that's it, that's it. I don't. Yes. So. I, yeah, and in having real conversations, like you know, yesterday I'm, I am, I am, I'm frustrated. I feel a certain way about this verdict, um, and in the continued injustice. Um, so that I experienced that in my body, right, and recognizing that, and and being able to talk with my family about that. Rather than acting it out, I think um, it's it's it, that's important. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, uh, so Willie Jennings talks about cleansing images, and I, I quote him a lot. <laughs> I mean, I go to Duke and I lament his departure every single day, but we do read a lot of Jennings still. Um, well, inside and outside of Duke, but like... He talks about cleansing images, right? So, like, what are ways that we are, like, replacing these false icons with other ones? And so when I'm scrolling through my Instagram feed and you see the multiple images of Breonna Taylor, right? Just him, just her alone. And you're like, there's a part of me that feels, like, so conflicted about this. There's a, I understand there's a lot of virtue signaling, first of all. I understand that people see a pretty picture and they want to join in. Yeah, I, I, I understand all that. Um, but a part of it, right, is like it devastates me every time I scroll and I see an image. Right. It, it's devastating and it should devastate. But it should also. Um, I think there's an I think there's room to think of it as a cleansing image somewhat. Uh, of it being repeated over and over again that it, yeah like I, I cannot we cannot ignore this we will not ignore this this is going to be alive she she will re remain alive her death will remain alive I guess you could say and we yeah. can still keep engaging um in ways and so in some ways that is sort of a cleansing image that is antithetical to like this false whiteness going on Right. Like, the, yeah, like it, it, it's I, I like some of the artwork that's coming out uh, that is portraying her uh, the way that she's being portrayed, um, almost like a queen, you know, like an icon or something. It's a very like cleansing image to me, although devastating. So I think that's a that's an area of possibility, too. And, you know, it keeps you talking about it, keeps you engaging in it. So, yeah, we have like. Less than two minutes remaining of this Instagram live. <laughs> I know it goes quick. It goes but, quick. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I'm. I am recording this on my end, and for those listening, in case you just joined and you're like, "What happened before?" Uh, this will be available. This I'm recording now for my season five of uh, Profane Faith, and so this this has been a great conversation because I, I love the interaction between us and, and what you bring, right? These frameworks that I think are important for people to understand. Cause I think theory and frameworks and philosophy gets a bad rap because people think, Oh, that's just classroom stuff. You know, how does that play out? Well, a lot of the stuff that plays out in real life is 
undergirded by this, right? It's like that's that it's is called the colonial matrix of power. There you go. See, that's what I'm talking about. See, coming with it. So I think it's important to call it out and to name it. <laughs> I love talking to you. <laughs> I just I, I something about when I something about this podcast, um, Dan, and you I think you really should hear this. Like there's something about this podcast where it's just so open-ended and it's not this like slick polished thing, but it's really, really raw. You really give <laughs> space for your people that you interview to go there. Like just go into, well, thank you. into the trenches and to go in uh, tangents if they need. Um, but something good always comes out from it. And I learn so much every time I listen to your podcast. You're too kind. So. I appreciate that coming from you. I, thank you. I, I, I'll take that. Thank you. Yeah, please do. Please do. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. Angie Hong, where might people find you if they want to bring you out and, you know, get you hired and, like, you know, getting ready to graduate? They'll bring you in a senior pastor. And- <laughs> oh, no. Husband will be the first okay. first man oh, of the house. Geez. Oh wow! Um, so all platforms at Angie K Hong, A N G I E K A Y H O N G. So our interview is on my Instagram because we did an Instagram lifestyle. Uh, that is me on YouTube. That is me on Twitter. That is me on Facebook. So you can, and I have a website, AngieKHong.com too. Um, and yeah, I've just been writing here and there and I post all that stuff on all those channels. So you can find me there. Well, I just, I love it because you, uh, man, you, man, just uh, your insight and, and dad, I mean, you just, you, you can tell you are doing all kinds of reading and engagement and I love it. And I just, and I, and I always just love having you on as well. Cause I know we can always have a great conversation and this was just deep. This was deep. With everything that you were just bringing up, I was like, man, this is, that's what's up. That is damn. So thank you. And again, for those listening, I always put these in the show notes as well. I'll try to link the video in the show notes as well so they can like see us visually. Oh, that's a great idea. Yep. I don't know how long they keep it or whatever, but I'll, I'll see what's up. That's forever, man. Okay. All right. (laughs) Cool. Well, thanks so much, Angie. All right. All right.